Welcome to the Next Tuesday Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Susie. I'm Caroline. And we're making women great again, even though we were already pretty great. We share authentic business stories, one woman at a time. We're a little Wall Street and a little woo-woo. We'll see you next and every Tuesday. Hola. Hola. What up, guys? Welcome back to the Next Tuesday Podcast. It's Tuesday, unless you're listening on a not Tuesday, and then it's not. We always say this, and I'm always like, hmm, how many times are we going to say, happy whatever day? Maybe we should just say, happy whatever day it is for you. Happy whatever day it is for you. We're going to say happy Tuesday. I'm going to continue to say happy Tuesday. It is a Tuesday. Because I need some, like, uplifting on Tuesdays, because, like, Tuesdays are the worst day of the week for me, I think, because it's, on Mondays, you're like, yes! I'm back, I have energy, I'm fresh, I'm ready to go. But then, like, Tuesdays roll around and you're tired already. You're not close to the weekend, but all that shiny new energy and, like, newness of the week has kind of worn off. So Tuesdays are rough. See, I'm the opposite. I look at Monday and I'm kind of still in my weekend mode being like, oh, great, another week. Wish I was in my pajamas hanging out. Yeah, I mean, I see that for sure. But I just, like, get excited to see people and do things and, like, I have plans for the week and my, like, 9 a.m. meeting that I have every Monday morning is always good. And so that's exciting. But Tuesday. Get it, girl. But Tuesday, man. See, I like Tuesdays, mostly because of the podcast because I'm like, ooh, I know something's happening today. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I like that we have scheduled something nice on Tuesdays because it's, like, a nice little gift. Yeah, and then Wednesday's hump day and Thursday – I, ever since college, Thursday has been a great day because in Thirsty school, Thursday. it was Thirsty Thursday, and I always went out on a Thursday. Yeah. Now I definitely don't go out on a Thursday, but it still makes right. me really happy. And But it becomes then appropriate if you wanted to go out, you know you could. You could. It's like that. It's like a mental shift Yeah. that happens, right? It's just like, You're hey. bridging into the weekend. Yeah, you're just kind of rolling slowly in. Yeah. Just... Anyway, guys, so now that we've told you all about how we process our how week. How we process our week. Uh, we're going to talk to you about something I know nothing about, but Karen knows a lot about, called the GDPR. Yeah, guys, get excited. If you haven't heard about it yet, um, the GDPR is the European Union's new privacy regulations that are kind of kicking into gear, and they go into effect May 25th. So how does the European Union have anything to do with us? The European Union has things to do with us because if anyone has access to your website from the EU or if somebody is in the EU currently in the access to your website, not they don't even have to be a citizen of the EU. They just have to be in that area. Um, you will then technically be required to comply with these new data and privacy protection rules. Because, yeah, the EU was like, we see what's going on over there, America. We, that's not happening here. We don't want that shit. So they have put into place a way for um, the government to require data processors, which if you're somebody who collects data, personally identifiable information, so that's anything like a name, an, a personal email address, age, any sort of credit card numbers, addresses, anything that can help you identify a person, then you are going to, they're going to have a say in like how you do that. So they are going to you say you have a contact form on your website or say you're giving away a freebie. Like you say, download this guide to X, Y, Z and you get a name and an email address that goes with that. That's technically considered personally identifiable information. And it is data under the GDPR that you then have to handle appropriately. And you have to be able to delete if someone comes to you and says, I don't want this information about me out there. You need to delete it and take me off your server. You also have to be able to, oh, you also have to really like disclaim what you're using it for. So a lot of times, especially when with the whole like list building phenomenon, people want to grow their lists. So they give something away for free, AKA a freebie. And they say, download this now. And then you put the person on your mailing list. Now you have to specifically disclaim that you are going to be collecting that data to then put on a mailing list. Like you can't just say, download this freebie now and then covertly kind of like put it on your mailing list. You have to say, if you download this freebie, you are agreeing to receive marketing materials from us and they have to do something to like proactively opt in. So that might mean check a box. Um, The box can't be pre-checked. You have to automatically opt in. 
you can no longer, um, which you shouldn't have done the first place, but people do it. You can't just go to a trade show and collect business cards and put all those people on your mailing list. Thank God. Yeah. That is like my biggest pet peeve. Sometimes I get emails from people who just had my email address and some of my friends. And then all of a sudden I get all of this marketing solicitation and I am like, that seems unfair. Yeah. Why did you do that? Yeah. It's like betrayal almost. It's like, it's kind of this like shady kind of. And I'd love to support people if they asked me if they could send me their things or told me that they were going to put my email in their mailing list. But yeah, sometimes it's just like, ooh, I definitely didn't opt into this. Right. And and also what you might not know or people that are listening might not know is like once they get your email and um, your like name, a lot of times websites will have have embedded Google Analytics, Google Tracking, Facebook Pixel into their website. So now not only do they have your name and like your email address, but because they have like the pixel embedded, they can associate that with your Facebook account. They can retarget your, like if you were looking at certain product, if you're looking at certain things, they can retarget you and be like, Hey, you should buy this. That's why like stuff shows up in your Facebook. And you're like, what the, um, Oh my gosh. So much stuff shows up yeah. everywhere on my computer. I literally have been looking at furniture recently online and now I get the same ads on the Instagram, on my yep. phone. Because Facebook is connected to Instagram now. They own the same, it's a property owned by Facebook. So they can retarget you in those different ways and they have your email address and they can track your behavior. So at this point in time, other advertisers can buy that behavior and they can target you that way. So after GDPR, Facebook's not going to be able to do that as much anymore. They've already kind of like started pulling those things. And after the whole um, Cambridge Analytica thing went down, they started kind of pulling back as well. I know now I see all these ads on TV or like on Hulu or on Netflix. It's like, Facebook's your friend. And yeah. I just like laugh and like, like no, they're not. Oh, not maybe really. you were, but you were. like, you're now, you should have been doing this like the whole time. Yeah. You were before you took my data without telling me and sold it to people so you could influence my feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So essentially what the GDPR in a nutshell does is you just have to be very upfront with what you're doing and what you're collecting where it's going, how you're using it. And if you haven't in the past, you might see that you're getting all these, like our privacy policies have been updated and uh, you have to kind of go and proactively get that affirmative yes from people. So I did a, a blog post and a video on it on my blog, the Engage Legal blog, engagelegal.com. Guys, go check it out. But yeah, so what you have to do is if it's not a hell yes from someone, it's a hell no. So if you have not proactively gotten a hell yes for someone for you to use their information, you absolutely can't. So that's the GDPR in a nutshell. If you have any questions, let me know. We're becoming more authentic. Yeah. We have integrity in business. Exactly. So that's what's happening. So thanks Europe for actually doing that. I mean, it's a big pain in the ass for a lot of data processors and a lot of um, small businesses because you're just kind of like, well, what the hell? Like, I don't know what's going on. But if you have MailChimp, if you have SendinBlue, if you have, you know, ConvertKit or any sort of you use Google Analytics, you're using Facebook Pixel, they have tools that you can now use uh, to implement this in your system. So just go check your email and, and do all the things you need to do that they're telling you, and it will get you kind of up to date with GDPR. And actually read your email, unlike me, who's like, MailChimp, delete. Yeah, read your email, update your privacy policy. That's probably the biggest thing you need to do as a small business owner, just update your privacy policy to match exactly what you're collecting and what you're doing with it. Sweet. So speaking of people with integrity and cool businesses promoting positively good people in business, yeah. who are we chatting to this week? This week, we are chatting with none other than Janai Frederick. She is the founder and I guess I'm going to call it HBIC of the B-Side Collective. And the B-Side Collective is a print publication. You might be thinking to yourself, print? That exists? Hell yeah, it exists. Yeah. And she does a really freaking great job with it, too. Um, she creates a really beautiful, tactile, feels-so-nice-in-your-hands publication that highlights female business owners in the area and also kind of serves as a directory for people who are starting their business and maybe need some sort of resources or need to know about stuff that's going on. They also let you know what's going on in the community every week. They have, like, a weekly digest in the Richmond community. So if you need that, I kind of, if I have spare time that week, I always go and I look and I say like, Hmm, I wonder what's going on in the community that I don't know about. And they do a really great job highlighting that. So, you know, we're super excited 
to talk to our homegirl because she is the best. She is the best. So. Oh, she's also an optometrist. I was going to say, yeah, I was just going to let them be surprised when we, like, introduced her, but now you know. So. Well, without further ado, we're going to introduce Dr. Frederick. To you. Ta-da! Season of the Next Tuesday podcast is brought to you by our lovely sponsors, one of which is Riot and Revel. Riot and Revel is a designer of paper goods, wedding stationery, brands, creative, custom merriment for all of life's celebrations. You can find her online at www.riotandrevel.com or riot.and.revel on Instagram. Heather basically gave us the glow up we needed to go from trailer park to, I don't know, you know, the Chrysler building. So if you are wondering why we started looking so good all of a sudden, it's because of Heather. And our second sponsor of this spring series is Vanessa Selick of Storybook Imaging and Intimate Chapters. She's a lifestyle and boudoir photographer who captured our quirkness, weirdness, and downright authentic selves. You can find her at www.storybkimaging.com or www.intimatechapters.com. If you're looking for her on Instagram, you can find her at intimatechapters or storybook, E-O-O-K, imaging. Thanks so much, you guys. We are so appreciative for our sponsors. Take a check and I'll see you next Tuesday too. Women supporting more women. Hello everyone. We are sitting here with the lovely Janae Tellis Frederick. She is the founder of B-Side Collective and she's also an optometrist, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I like eyeballs. You like eyeballs? But that's really funny because they're like there are two things that kind of freak me out and gross me out, and one of them is eyeballs. Yeah. I eyeballs, used to be. Eyeballs and kneecaps just really freak me out. I hate kneecaps. Right. Well, because they like they're de- they're detached. They're both they're both things are like kind of detached a little bit. And they kind of float on their own. So I think that's what weirds me out about them. <laughs> it's fun to know about Caroline. So maybe let's start by talking about what is B-Side Collective. So B-Side Collective is basically a, a platform to spotlight, engage, and inspire leaders and entrepreneurs in the local Richmond area. So the main format is magazine print, but there's also events surrounding it, as well as online kind of social media stuff that goes on in the background. So cool. that's what the B-Side Collective is. How did you start it? Yeah, there we so go. to go back and... I was doing my own entrepreneurial endeavor after working maybe eight years in optometry through the military and in private practice and retail practice. I decided to kind of make that switch and venture and do it on my own, just mainly because I feel like I had a lot of input and a lot of things that I wanted to do with a practice, but you can't really do that unless you're the owner. So I decided to, to take that leap and I was hoping to put a practice in Churchill. So I went through like a year of just scouting out where my location was and then a year of just planning and orchestrating it and then finally signed a lease and everything landlord and car were fighting for a lot and then they finally broke ground and everything was good and good and then I got diagnosed with cancer so everything just stopped and I was kind of on this whole thing of you've got maybe 12 months to live so I got diagnosed with a really rare form of cancer and I was just kind of like okay well that's it you know Um, and so it was what do I want to do with that time that I have left or like what have I not done and um, what's a therapy exercise? And for some reason it all, I kind of thought and thought and thought, and it just came up to this. I love magazine. It's something I can do through chemo. So, and it was also a way to give back to women who are actually helping me with my own business. And I realized that most of the people that I worked with, with starting up my business were actually women in Richmond. And I tried to do a lot of engagement and then it ended up being this like female boss, like collective. And so I thought, okay, this is my kind of give back. This is what I want to do. And I want to equip women with tools resources and connectivity with other women and in their own community and so it kind of started off with an idea and then I got involved with Annika Horn and um Larkin Garvey's co-starters program and so we kind of worked through a lot of the planning the detail and it kind of was let's start online before you go to print so I kind of started doing that and then eventually a prototype came out our first issue volume one and then it's leading into volume two which will be more full-scale size so that's where I'm at right now and it definitely has helped me kind of go on this whole cancer journey which a lot of people don't know the backside of that and that's what actually the b-side means it actually means like my second part of life 
life. Like I feel like I lived before I was diagnosed with my A side and this is sort of like my B side now. And the good news is everything is working out well in terms of treatment, but I'm still kind of in this weird high risk category. So, but anyway, the magazine has just been sort of my treatment therapy and it's been my kind of my way to thank other women who have encouraged me and inspired me to do things that I want to do. What I find amazing is that you're diagnosed and you think, you know, with 12 months, what am I going to do to live my best life? And it's giving back. I would be like on the plane to some island, (laughs) tropical (laughs) paradise, like drinking smoothies and meditating and being like, all is good with the world. And here you are supporting and empowering other women. Yeah. I think it's just one of those things that you don't know what you're going to do till you're kind of confronted with that. And eventually everybody will. And I think it just changes your focus. And you think you'd do that. But, I mean, you can still do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not ruling out the, the I'm not ruling out that. I mean, you're definitely, well, there's yeah. definitely a pity party. And, yeah. And then then you just kind of are like, okay, moving on. Like, what's what else? What am I meant to do? What am I, what's my purpose? What am I doing here? And what can I do? So you talked a little bit about how this has been something that also kind of helps. Yeah, it's meant to support other women. But it's, like, really helping you, too. So what is it like putting together a magazine starting from scratch when you're also kind of like well first of all what is it like putting together a magazine which is crazy in its Mm -hmm. own and then also kind of like starting from a place where you even feel a little bit maybe like more limited um and I don't want to say limited because like that makes it seem like this was limited in some way because it's not at all and it really kind of you killed it but what does it feel like to kind of start knowing like all right cool like we're just figuring this out so I think that's what's help me but getting diagnosed it's like I got nothing to lose like (laughs) so at the end of the day I'm just like whatever and um yeah I just don't give a yeah yeah. (laughs) but so that's I think what it is it's a big thing is that I'm I just kind of putting it on the line but but also trying to have a little bit of strategy involved behind it so it's not that it's just, okay, this is what it is and I don't care, and mm-hmm. you know. But it's, I don't know, I guess it, it has freed me up to take risks, reasonable risks. Calculated so, risks. Calculated risks. I love a good But I don't think, I'm not a risk taker. Like, I'm very conservative. Um, and so this has kind of helped me break down some of those barriers to do that. I will say, though, that I've, there's been a lot of people that have helped me. And my number one person who I just adore is Jen from Catalyst Wedding Co. So she actually, I think with co-starters, they encouraged me to reach out to someone similar. And that was a name that kept on coming up was Jen, 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 Jen. So I reached out to her and she basically took my hand and kind of gave me a lot of the tips and the pearls and helped me sign volume one and and just kind of worked me through a lot. So having that, even though I had no idea anything about magazine, I'd say for other people who are entering into something just find somebody who can kind of be a mentor and then in return if you can turn that around and be a mentor to someone else which I'm currently doing so I'm gonna have to like shout out to like Everyday Baby and yes. Cheyenne Varner and her magazine, which is coming out. So that I think that's the thing you do is it's just to take what you've learned and then pass it on to somebody else. And for those of you who might be like, who's this magical Jen character? She She's talking about Jen at Catalyst Wedding Company. Catalyst is an inclusive wedding magazine and online resource as well. Um, mm-hmm. They do a really killer job. And Jen is just awesome. I love her so much. That whole, that whole staff over there is great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mentor and then mentee. That's pretty cool. Like, mm-hmm. And for those people who think, there are a lot of people that go into things thinking like, oh, I've only done this a couple times. Like, I don't know what I'm doing or blah, blah, blah. But like, clearly you figured it out. And like, you've figured it out to a point where you have information to pass along. So what is it like now kind of in this short time period of a year and a half, year, year and a half maybe? Is it that? that? Yeah. So probably a little under a year. A little under a year? Have I figured out absolutely not (laughs) do do we ever figure anything out (laughs) so yeah the things that you don't know behind that I mean there's always you're questioning and doubting and then okay so how do I I think everybody has got things that they can pass on to any anyone else even if it's very small or very big there's always an experience or whatever you're doing that you can impart something to somebody else and they can grab to it so I'm also doing um, an MBA program I'm finishing up with William and Mary and 
their concept is something called design thinking. So you roll through this whole finding something that you're passionate about, number one, and then gathering supporters around you for that. And then it moves into kind of this ideation process. Well, actually putting, immersing yourself into whatever problem that you think that is out there that you want to help solve or be a catalyst for solving it and immersing yourself around that environment to figure out what the problem is. And then, then you start ideating certain solutions. And then from there, it's like prototyping and evaluating and then kind of growing back to this whole cycle. So I kind of still feel like I've completed like a full, my first magazine is actually a prototype and it was like kind of my first spin of this kind of infinity cycle. And so now I feel like I'm still, I'm in the second ideation with the volume two, but I feel like it never it never stops. It's just continuously going on and evolving with the process of figuring out stuff and evaluating it, tweaking it, and then reassessing and going back and starting all over again. So I think with that, and then it's all about learning fast um, and learning from others. So that's the reason why I'm, I really encourage people to seek out mentors and be a mentee because there's something about groupthink and getting together and collaborating and coming up with ideas and just moving fast. I think that's the name of the game now, especially with digital, social media, all this other stuff. Is It's more of how do you compete with big players? Guess what? You can't, but you can differentiate yourself and, but you, you're, you're going to need like a group of people or things or something to help you learn that fast and change and pivot and do what you need to do to make yourself kind of sustainable. Find your team. Find, find your, your team. Flock. Yeah. Find your flock. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So I think there's, I tend to take notes on like really good quotes that people say during this. And something you just said was, it's my first spin of the infinity cycle. And I think that's really cool because everything that, you know, when we develop a process or we develop like a plan for what our work is going to do, it does kind of like we turn it into Mm -hmm. this infinity cycle. That's the hope that like we turn it into an infinity cycle. And I think that's so beautifully put because... Sometimes like, oh, well, I'm doing another project, like starting another one project. But it's like, that just makes it, that illustrates it in my brain very nicely. Mm-hmm. And especially, okay, this is going to like expose me and make me a little vulnerable. I do a little bit of, I have some like obsessive compulsive tendencies, as some people do. You know, doctors are great. Thankfully, it's not a problem. <laughs> but one of the things I do is I trace infinity symptoms symbols in my head and it's always been real and I'll just like trace them kind of like in the back of my head so tracing it's a thing some people trace doors I don't know so instead of being upset about that because it does kind of get annoying and bother me so now from now on I'm going to think of it as I'm spinning the infinity exactly. cycle yeah. taking spins on my infinity cycle yeah. dude I'm getting emotional <laughs> always always I'm always the crier Caroline and I learned pretty quickly in wanting to support women and sharing their stories is that it's really fun and it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy and is helpful when it's monetized just so that it's not all digging from your personal bank accounts and other endeavors and trying to make everything work. So in working with B-Side Collective, what has been your experience from the passion to create this entity and to highlight and empower women, but doing all the work and the behind the scenes, what has that been like for you? I don't think there's a lot of things that have come out from it. Trying to, you're taking on different leadership helms and kind of learning a lot about yourself what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? So I've tried to, I think initially when you first start off, you basically have to do everything and that's a way to keep it lean and then to kind of learn fast and accept your failures and move on and whatever. So I think you have to somehow invest in either that is saving up with money or you're being extremely conservative or finding ways to trade and barter, which is kind of really helpful. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then just being open to possible revenue streams that you were not thinking about. So that's also something that you have to be prepared to pivot to think, okay, so for example, for me, I thought, and some people warned me about this though, as I thought, oh, I'm going to get all these sponsors, like everyone's going to be on board. But honestly, you have these ideas in your head, but nobody else can see those ideas. So they're not really going to probably be strong supporters until they see some results out of it. So you have to be creative and crafty on either kind of starting as low as you can or putting in your own resources, your time and investment. There are also people though that are willing to give their time, their energy and their resources. So you have to be mindful to look out for them and they can help you as well. So 
it, it's learning that. And then now I feel that I'm more in a, a state where I'm kind of on this verge of, okay, I can't do it all on my own anymore. So it's kind of trying to figure out, okay, what are my strengths? What do I'm going to keep in house? And then what do I kind of move out to other people? And we'll see how it goes. But yeah, it's definitely a learning lesson. And I think just learning your strengths knowing your weaknesses, getting other people to help you out with those limitations and weak spots, and then amping up your own personal strengths is kind of the key. That's, again, really beautifully put. I talk all the time about how, like, the day I hired my assistant and, like, started paying people to do stuff was Mm -hmm. the best day of my life because it allows you to do more of what you do better. Right. And I have found that every time I make that kind of investment, you know, it comes back at least, like, the ROI is at least, like, times three. Mm-hmm. So I totally am on board with that. And it yeah. sucks at first. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm writing this check. And then you're like, oh, here's why. Like, it just yeah. takes a minute to, to finally see it. It takes a minute. But yeah, just finding ways to either you're investing your time, you're investing your money, or you're trying to be really crafty in yeah. the beginning to make everything kind of work um, until you kind of want to get it to where you want to get. And I'm definitely not there. I'm still just kind of working out my kinks and with strategy. But then there's also this other aspect of something called emotional intelligence, which is kind of recognizing who you are, who you want to be. And I think that helps out a lot of just kind of learning how you operate, what makes you tick and the positive as well as the negative and working on it. So I think it's always how we frame the negatives too. Cause I think Mm -hmm. I used to work in this environment and it was like a positive and a growth because the negatives are often, we can dwell on them so negatively, but Mm -hmm. then we can also just appreciate it's just there to help us develop that or recognize that maybe that's not going to develop. And so we should just stay with those strengths. Exactly. My here, friend, here. Yeah, my friend Courtney works at Hershey, and that's the way – Hershey, like, the candy company. She has the best job ever. We, like, always make her say what she does last because people love what she does. But they call it opportunities. So, like, yes. they'll be like, your strengths and your opportunity. Right, right. <laughs> I was like, I love that. Yeah. Sometimes your opportunities, like, you just don't need to be near them. You don't it's need fine. to. It's fine. It's an opportunity to take a rest. Yeah. Because you don't need to be the one doing it. So what were some of your expectations as you started Beside Collective? And what are some surprising things you found along the way? Expectations. I guess my expectations were set low because of just my circumstances and stuff. So it was just put something out there and see where it goes and, you know, just take it day by day. So I don't think I had anything that I kind of needed to have done or whatever. It was just kind of like, let's just see where this goes. What has surprised me is I feel like I, I get certain emails sometimes from people and they're, I'm, I'm just, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm very happy that people are receptive of what my idea is and are they appreciate it and value it like I do it's one thing when you value something but it's another when you just get out of the blue comments or emails or people that are kind of supporting you and appreciating what you're doing so that's been like something that I didn't expect but then also um something I didn't expect is my favorite part of this magazine is actually reading it myself (laughs) um so and it's reading it as it comes in from my writer so the first rendition the writing was a little bit different this time actually had a writing team and they when I get stuff in and then I hear what other women are writing down and how you identify with them and understand their experiences or pick up their pearls like that's not something that I I realized how powerful it is to me and then when sometimes I've, I've been passing off to my editor as well as my designer who's putting it together and I get their feedback and they say the same thing that and sometimes they'll make comments because it's on like a Google Doc so you can kind of make comments back and forth and they'll be like oh this is so true <laughs> yeah like I hear that and you know like so it, that's something I didn't expect and it, it's a great motivator because sometimes I have my lows with the magazine and I'm like I'm done pack up this shit we're closing it down yeah. and then something like that will happen and that helps me get going and then it it puts the perspective on what I'm going through and whatever that issue is and I'm like okay this is not just me and it also brings me to that point of I don't know if you've seen that iceberg that people are saying that you know everybody sees this the top part of the iceberg above the water nobody sees all that shit below you know (laughs) and it's a ton of shit there's a lot you know (laughs) and so you know I think 
it makes you realize that everybody's got a ton of shit under there. It's not just you. And that helps you kind of be like, Hey, back it up. All right. How can you fix it? Don't get bogged down. Like you got this issue. Now, how do you solve it? So yeah. So that's something I didn't expect. Issues on issues. Yeah. Get it? And building issues community. on issues on mm-hmm. issues. Cause issues. it's an issue of the magazine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> get it girl. Crafty. Guys, I'm so funny. Um, so one of the things that I have a fascination with is physical product um, because I don't really have one. <laughs> <laughs> Type stuff and send it out and then people like, you know, mm-hmm. download, it, it. download it and all that stuff. What is it like having something that you made in your hands? Like, what is that feeling like? It feels good. It's, I agree. It's something and that's why can people are like, oh, is your magazine online? Like, da, da, da. And I'm like, well, it's more print. And I think it's because I'm a tangible person. But I also just think like we've moved away. Everybody thinks that online is where it is. And it is. It's really cool. But then I think we're missing that magazine and that, I don't know, something about holding something. I That's the whole reason why I do it. It's because I really wanted something in my hand to put and look at and hold. I'm a holder too. Yeah. I can't read books online. Like I can, I can't do it. but I'm that mm-hmm. person. I like to underline things. Mm-hmm. I like to like write my comments and I yeah. like to cut them out and vision board them and just Don't make care. it, you know, yeah. exist in my life. Yeah. I am a hundred percent on board with that. I kill so many trees by like when I review contracts, I, have to, I can't do it on, and I go back and I put in the comments electronically because like that's how people want them. Right. And that's nicer because my handwriting is terrible but like something about holding it and like having it there and being able to flip and mm-hmm. and texture and paper and yeah i could go on for a while but you know that's why you did it that's why i did it so <laughs> that's my thing what was that decision like for you though like other than it being tangible like so many people say print's outdated and you know what is your return on that how has that been in terms of examining the first round the prototype and then kind mm-hmm. of moving into this Second batch. Second batch. Um, So I agree, like, print's kind of a scary space uh, for so many reasons because you see, like, big publications going down right now. And you're like, okay, if they're going down, how is this teeny tiny like little niche publication going to survive. So it makes you get crafty about, okay, so what am I going to do? How am I going to be different? And how am I going to play this game? And I decided I don't want to play the big boy game. Like I'm not a big boy and I don't feel like that's my space. And I think, again, that's where your mentors are involved to help. I listened to a lot of people and how they were approaching things. And then I took their comments. So Jen was like, you know what? This is where we made my our mistake at, you know, so maybe this is something you should consider. So it started off with just a six by nine kind of prototype to just that keeps costs down low. It also brings brand awareness. And then just kind of it was also a cycle of can I actually get everything and formulate this team and get it all together in this particular timeline. So it was an easy way to to do it and then figure out, okay, should I be doing this again? And I feel like the response was so great that I could do it again. And I had a lot of people that jumped on board offering certain things. And so now it's actually a full eight and a half by 11. I don't know, 60 some, it's going to be more than 64 pages. What? Um, so yeah, it's a big compilation and I think what I realized is okay so I need to be niche then and so what does that mean um and so it just means being creative and being different and having this vision um that the distribution is going to be different than everybody else um how the magazine looks is going to be different so I've my strategy is is to have people getting spotlighted so the magazine is about spotlighting but I also want to spotlight the people behind the magazine so every issue you'll have one photographer one illustrator you know one editor one designer and so that way you can really see them transform it's basically artwork so it's half of its content but the other half is really artwork and design and so you can flip through it and look and get a great appreciation of what they're bringing I give very little instruction I just say this is the issue the issue the concept is these are women that work in the food and beverage industry and most of them are owners or or managers or they're leaders in their game you go figure out what that means to you and so they're kind of given a lot of leeway up to create something that's really them embedded with the magazine all I'm really contributing is my logo (laughs) 
<laughs> and they're doing kind of the rest. And so I think that makes it different in the respect that it's spotlighting them. It's also providing them with business later on. And then the other aspect of it is that it's something different. So every issue you're going to see something different. It, the main gist is women in leadership and, and entrepreneurship. But the other piece is that it's something different. It looks different. It's not going to be where you think it should be. It'll just be very different. So that's what I want people to pick up every issue and say, wow, this is very unique. It's very distinctive. It's, and I think it's Richmond. I think Richmond is sort of this helm of people being artistic in various ways. Um, and this is hopefully a way to explore Richmond. I'm getting like really emotional. I think I must be like getting ready to be on my period or something. <laughs> um, so what is it like to, we talked about this a little bit in the beginning, but like, what is it like to go from being an eye doctor to a creative <laughs> entrepreneur in yeah. a very short time frame? Yeah, it's very different. And I actually, there's two different realms because optometry is like math and science. Mm-hmm. And this is more creative project, but it's not, it's more leadership strategy, but it's not something that's new to me. And it, I think it has to do with my background. So building into this optometry, you kind of have to build this sort of case to get accepted into, you know, optometry school and whatever. And so you have to do all these leadership tasks and like, you know, you just have to show that you're in at least in optometry, there's a big communication component to it. I don't know about with other doctors, but this is probably one of the most professions where you really have to communicate with your patient. If you do not, you do not thrive and your patient doesn't, everyone hates you. So, and you're in the, and it's like a creepy environment because you're like in a dark, the lights are down low, you know, it's kind of quiet and like, you know, that can come off in really bad ways. So, you know, you have to, Anyways, so <laughs> yeah, and like here's some drops, and you came in here to see, but now you're gonna leave blurry because I just dilated you. You got some great so yeah, exactly. So it's um yeah, it's a different kind of realm, but anyway. So that is a part, but you have to learn to kind of present yourself to to get accepted into school. And then you learn how to be an effective communicator with your patients and then with the community. And I guess some people don't realize that there's a lot of optometrists have to communicate with other providers. People just think that your eyes are detachable and they're not a part of your body. They are like your kneecaps (laughs) are. But it'd be surprising about how many other issues actually manifest in the eye. And so you have to communicate with other providers and that patient about what the heck is going on and that this is not really an eye problem. This is actually a diabetic problem or a rheumatoid arthritis problem or whatever. This is So um, some of that ties into this aspect. So I'm not necessarily the creator. I have visions and I have ideas and concepts, but I basically hire out other women to make that happen and make it actually produce it. But it's the communication and the leadership ship skills are really integral to kind of feed that out and the communication and to let them know, okay, well, this is the concept. This is what I need. This is what I'm looking for. And so they kind of tie in, in the same realm, but they are different. One is a little bit more artsy, you know, but then the other one is a little bit more scientific based, but it does run the spectrum of it in between. And I also have to add that I'm, I'm also a military veteran. So I did um, almost four years in the Navy uh, as an optometrist. What? We missed that part. So, oh, okay. So back it up. So yeah, I am mm-hmm. actually a military dependent, which means like from birth through college, I moved like every two years of my life. Oh, wow. And um, I, my mom said, if you ever go to a professional school, like use the military for it and mm-hmm. like have, you can stay in, you can stay out, but at least you have your stuff paid for. Oh, so yeah. that's what I did for yeah. optometry school. But you know, the drawback is that you do have to pay that back. So number one, <laughs> you and you learn how that it's not about you anymore. It's about the needs of whatever your organization is. So they right. call it the needs of the Navy. So you go where they tell you, when they tell you, and you do what they tell you to do. So if you're okay with that for a couple of years, then I'd say go for it. If you're not, then you may want to stay away from it. But again, that's where, again, a lot of the communication and leadership skills come into you because when you are in the military, it's not about what you're really hired for. I was hired to be an optometrist. But the amount of other jobs, the collateral duties that I was given are more in the leadership realm. So it all it all ties together. Yeah. So if you rewind the clock a little bit and think about yourself growing up and going to college and then deciding to go into optometry school, was there ever a part of you that saw yourself as a creative entrepreneur or someone in print or magazine? No, 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 no. So this is something totally different. Literally never. Never. <laughs> 
Um, no, I was and not even like own, even going into the autonomous, thinking about doing my own practice and actually building it. Never, never, never in my train of thought. It was always, I, I think my mom grew up in a household where you go work for the man and the government or whatever, and they kind of dictate what you do. And then my mom kind of transitioned out of that and sort of like, well, you can have this whole leadership capacity, whatever. But then I think, then I started to push and evolve and saying, well, you know what, if you don't like, I guess I'm a complainer too. Like, yeah, I do. I complain a lot. And I just, I think she also instilled in me that if you don't like the way something is, then you just do it yourself. So that's kind of where it is. If I don't like stuff, instead of just complaining about it, just figure it out, do it yourself. And then if you suck, then you sucked. And you're like, okay, I admit defeat. Okay, you were right. I was wrong. But... <laughs> I guess it, it was also a way of just saying, you know what, I don't like this, so I'm going to do it this way, and let's roll. And so that's that's kind of sort of a little bit of about I feel everything. like all entrepreneurs are a little stubborn and hard-headed. I Maybe. think we have to be, in a way, to yeah. like go our own way or decide that like we can go our own way. I was yeah. writing my bio today, and I was like, I'm stubborn and independent. And then I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't put that in my bio. But that's a huge, I also like yeah. don't like what exists. And so I feel a desire to create something right. to change Different. something. But I also feel that looking back now as a kid, I always did things really weird. And I wasn't like the oddball and the freak kid or, you know, it wasn't that. But I always, when I look back and some of the papers that I wrote or whatever, were just very different. So, for example, we in like my earth and science, like they call it gifted and talented back then class, Mm -hmm. we had to put on like a presentation and it would be about something, some kind of invention or whatever. And I think I remember mine was like the invention of the toilets. Good. And yeah, so I put on this like grand screen presentation of the evolution of toilets and why it came to be and how they were before. Like weird (laughs) stuff like that. Like, so now when I think about it, like that's just kind of been my life. It's that I'm always just like, okay, what's everybody else doing? I'm not doing that. I'm doing this. And, uh, you know, because I'm just like, that sounds like something different. And people are like, why? And they're like, that's kind of neat and fascinating. So that's been kind of like my whole life in a nutshell. It's whatever everybody else is doing. I'm like, I ain't doing that. I'm doing something else. (laughs) Um, So even like private school, my mom tried to get, like, had me in Catholic school. And I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Let's do something else. So, um, yeah, there's too many stories where I think, yeah, I'm just hard-headed and just... I feel that way about a lot of things, too. Yeah. I really love rules and directions. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also very, like, stubborn about stuff. Yeah. So thank God for my significant other's patience because, good Lord. Yes. I can be, I can be, uh, <laughs> gotta make your own rules. And then yeah. come other people follow them. Other people follow them. Um, so... This is kind of just like a, what are some of the things that you can find out by your eyes? Like, what are some things cool that you can tell us about that for factoids? Factoids about the eyeballs. So first of all, everybody, dentists do a good job of telling people, get in that chair every six months. Optometrists, we're still working on it. But you need to have an eye exam every year. And just for all host of things, it's not just your glasses, but it helps you see. Interesting factoids. Is it, yeah, you can... We can see a lot of stuff in the back of the eye. Um, So diabetes, um, a lot of indications. In the back of the eye, like through the eyeball. Through the eyeball. What? Um, So last couple weeks ago, I actually had a girl admitted to VCU because she had, she started having headaches. And so she thought, oh, maybe I need reading glasses. And I'm like, dude, this ain't reading glasses. (laughs) You're going to ER today. And so that that was probably shocking for her. Uh, Turns out she just has like um, intracranial pressure swelling. For okay. Who knows why? But she needed to go and get a check get out. a lumbar puncture and. Oh my god, that sounds that sounds terrifying. So, yeah. so things can be as simple as we can do glasses, whatever. But then they can be pretty extreme. So yeah, get your eyes checked. Be amazed. Cool. Um, most of the time, you're rolling out. And you're you're cool. But sometimes <laughs> can't drive. Can't sometimes we need to do some other things. Um, oh, cool. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of cool stuff. I think the dynamics of a lot of stuff. Two eyes are always better than one. Yes. And, yeah. Um, Ooh, deeper. We're going deeper. 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 
And yeah, get those little kitty eyeballs checked too, because a lot of things could be um, prevented early. If you kind of miss it beyond a certain stage, then that's it. Game over. So what age do we take our kids to get their eyes checked? You can start as soon as six months if you want to. And then usually like three years and then uh, maybe like right before they start kindergarten and then every other year after that. Fun fact, I had my first eye exam in third grade. It was (laughs) the day we had an ice cream sundae party for learning the multiplication tables. And I was terrified because my worst fear as a kid was getting glasses. And then I got glasses Ah. in like middle school. Oh, now you hate ice cream? cream I still like ice cream. Okay, Okay, cool. I wanted glasses. I was that kid. I was like the kid that was like, no, I don't see good. I want glasses. We, we get that a lot. So the other fun fact is that um, your optometrists can't see. So that's how they got into it. I think if you ask, like, <laughs> why did you get into it? And I was like, well, you know, everything, I didn't realize that there was actually leaves on trees <laughs> until what? I had my eye exam. And then I'm like, what? What is that? So that was my experience. So you, you'd probably say, like, probably 90% of your optometrists, they've got a fat prescription if they didn't have some kind of corrective surgery. They are blind Whoa. not literally but, but like, like there's yeah. always a reason why we choose the thing yeah, yeah. yeah. so have so, you had corrective surgery now i did i did lasik so or not i'm sorry i did prk um <laughs> courtesy of the united states navy Thank thanks you. guys <laughs> uh, cool so all right i know i'm bouncing around but like <clears throat> thinking about b-side what like have you learned from b-side that you're now integrating into your like doctor life um the doctor life is i think that at first i we'll we'll see how things go with my life but i still think i I still want to do my own practice so i think that's something that will hopefully come out of it um and i can definitely use a lot of the tools and what i've learned um and how i kind of want to move in that direction and if not if even it's not in that capacity i still think that there's other things that i may potentially envision down the road that may not even be in the doctor element um or could be. We'll see. But I think I'm in that process of applying a lot of that stuff to there. So we'll see how it goes. So cool. And what has it been like navigating optometry and this B-side thing with your diagnoses and, you know, the maybe accumulated stress of an mm-hmm. extra project on top of health yeah. scares and complications and all of that? I was a super stressed out person before I got diagnosed and I mean, nobody really knows why you get cancer. I mean, there's obviously risk factors, but when you set a calculator of what my risk factor was, like I have no genetic history, everything else is fine, healthy eater, exercise, or all this other good stuff, you know, like um, I didn't have anything. So when you pull out the calculator, it was like 0.8% risk that I would get cal- that I would get um, cancer. But I do know one thing that I really associate with it, and that is I was stressed. So working full time and then I was trying to build this practice and I was doing an MBA program um, and then trying to spend that with family because I've got two kids. It was a lot. And I think it was, I think I did not practice self-care. Like I did not. And so now being diagnosed, like, I don't know. I don't, I give zero fucks so <laughs> about like a yes. lot of stuff. And so my stress factor now is really low. So even though I have a lot of projects, I'm kind of like if something doesn't get done or something doesn't go the way it goes, I don't care anymore. I do care to a certain spec, but I'm kind of like, well, this is a lesson. This is how do I fix this? How do I learn? But I'm not going to stress about it. I'm just going to change it and revamp it. So um, even though I am still juggling stuff, I I try and just take it on as much as I can. And then I guess I'm timing things more appropriately. So just making sure that things have alternating demands. So it's not all at once and just kind of trying to figure out a timeline and then just when I feel like I've reached my capacity then I just step away and back up or find an alternative solution so but yeah I think I'm definitely less stress-free the the only thing is that yeah I do have there's a lot of side effects so I think the notion in cancer is oh you're like cancer-free and now you can live your level no that stuff can come back but it's not just that but a lot of the treatments have a lot of side effects so sometimes it's like telling people I do things like this sometimes keep to myself and a lot of times I'm kind of like okay well this is what's going on um so I think I'm more open with it and it's just because I think I have a lot of quirks (laughs) that I have to explain (laughs) like 
this is why my run my like my nose is always runny. Like I do not have a cold. It's just the medications and it just runs. Makes you know, run. I don't so, have anything, and that's just the way my um, voice is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have an excuse. So there's just like, I don't know. I think I have a lot of quirks that people are like, I don't really understand. And I'm like, okay, well, this is what it is. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't care anymore. I, I mean, I care. Like, I think that's, it's hard to tell people that I do care about certain things, but I've learned to just let, not let it impact me the way it used to. You freed yourself from like the other focus and yeah. you just get to live with. Yeah. What feels good for you. Exactly. So we have the question. The question. Oh. We're asking everyone a question. This the same question. This is So thinking about whether it was starting an optometry practice or starting B-Side, what was the best piece of business advice someone gave to you as you started your endeavors? So B-Side also has this musical thing because I'm just, I think I'm motivated by music. And so you'll kind of sometimes hear me like interject or somehow put in like lyrics and stuff. Uh, um, yes, more to, of that. I love that. For, yes. for different things. And it's because it's sort of a motivator for me. I don't know if everybody feels like, but I think it does because I mean, when you think of people and they go into competitions, like you see basketball players or whatever, people are like zone out. And even like Michael Phelps, um, he's just, people had this thing where he was like looking at some other competitor, like angry. And he was like, I totally didn't even know that guy was there. I was just like focusing on me. And so I think we, I think that a lot of people do that. I know I do that. And so music is kind of my thing. So I will have to say that I will go back to like, for some reason, and it, this will change like every week, it'll be something different or whatever, just depending upon what mood I'm in. Um, And I know a lot of people don't like Iggy Azalea. And, you know, they think that she's, um, I don't know. They, they just have different things why they don't like it. But I think she's got some sound little pearls and nuggets. And you can hear it in different things. But her thing is like one of her songs, it's, it's called Work or something. And then at the end, in it, she goes, too late, now I'm in this bitch. And so that's <laughs> kind of the thing I'm in. It's just like, I'm here. So I don't care. It's just, this is what's going down. Move out the way. I'm coming yes. through. So, yeah. Too late, now I'm in this bitch. Love, Love it. Love it. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I, yeah, I dig that. I dig and um, I'm a sailor, so I curse. I'm sorry. We curse but, all the time. Yeah. Have <laughs> <laughs> you read this podcast description? <laughs> it's explicit. I apologize. Don't. No, no, apologize for no cursing. Spiritual. So if people are looking for the next edition of B-Side or they want to find you and get to know the magazine more, where can they find you? So we're online at bsidecollective.com. There will be an online issue a little bit later. The print comes out May 18th. We're having a release party at Studio 23. May 22nd, we're having a little dinner thing with some of the ladies um, in the magazine. Um, And then it'll be available at Select Stockist to pick up or you can get it mailed to your house. So cool. Super cool. And what's your Instagram handle? It is at bsidecollectiverva. Perfect. Well, as usual, you can find us at www.nexttuesdaypodcast.com if you'd like to sponsor or donate you can click the sponsor tab or donate on the website <laughs> or become a patron at www.patreon.com slash podcast and you can find us on social media next Tuesday podcast otherwise we'll see you next, next Tuesday, Tuesday.